Alright, let's get in order. Grab your Bible, as I said before. If you don't have one, again, there's one back there you can grab and use. You can take it with you. doesn't matter whether it's paperback or hardback or uh, leather. I don't care. They're back there for people to take and have. So we have tons of Bibles. Please take them. You will need one because you need your Bible. You don't need my words. My words are just me uh, talking and unpacking what God's Word says. But when you go out of here... And you seek to look back, hey, what did God say? Or, or you want to tell somebody what God said? I don't want you to say, hey, Dave said. I want you to say, God said, and I can show you where he said it. So that's why you need a Bible. Also, if you want to take notes, there's always note sheets back there. Remember that most of the reasons that you take notes is for somebody else, not you. It's to help you remember so you can pass it on when you share it with somebody. And again, I hope you're taking notes on God's word. Not on, on my word. So the Bible, as I say every week, it's a library. It's a collection of books. It's not, it's not a storybook from front to back, although there is a story that runs through it. So that story is what we're following uh, over the next year or so. And uh, we're skipping a little bit. We're not going to cover everything. I would challenge you to read everything, but we're not doing that. We're moving through the story kind of quickly from cover to cover and following this thread of this seed that God promises. And, and you got to remember, man, this Bible is such a blessing to have. It's so easy to just write it off. And I hope one thing you learn from me is I love His Word. I always try to remember that there's blood on this book. Every time I pick it up, I, I think about it in my mind. I almost visualize a bloody handprint, not to be gory, but there's blood that handed that book to me over literally thousands of years to put it in my hand, to put it in your hand. 66 books by 40 different authors written over 1,600 years of time. Three continents and three languages. I mean, it's impossible that this would exist if it were not true. Alright? So, anyway, you need about As we follow the story of God, we've already looked at uh, God, who God is, kind of the Trinity, the creation, the God before creation. Then we looked at creation and how he created all things, how he created man, how man uh, chose to rule his own world and rebel, and sin entered, death entered with it. And then we looked at how God promised, even in that moment, a child, a seed of woman that would come and would set things right, so to speak. Okay? And then since then, we've been kind of looking for that seed as we've gone through. She has two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. God curses Cain. She has more children, one being Seth. The seed continues on through Seth. Over the generations, things get crazy and worse and worse and worse until we come to the flood. God destroys the world through a flood except for one family who carries the seed on, Noah. And then on the other side, the story continues on down through generations until we come to this one man, Abraham, who is now going to be a patriarch of a family. That God promises to continue to work his seed forward through. So that's where we are. So this week we're looking at a question. Can prayer change God's plan? If not, why bother? If not, then, then why bother to pray in the first place? If your mother's going to die of cancer anyway, why bother to pray about it? If your wife is never going to be able to have kids... No matter what, then why bother to pray about it? I mean, it's fair questions. I'm being honest, it's fair questions. Does God change his mind? Well, the answer to that is yes, but, hold on, but 
Does that mean he had a poor decision as an option? No. It means that any, and from God's position, any position, anything, he might have two plus perfectly right and justifiable directions. He might have two perfectly right and justifiable directions or more. And we'll both unpack this. So, the real question though is, can we change God's mind? That's where the real struggle, that's where the prayer talk comes in. Can we change God's mind? So let me suggest this up front. Maybe we should. Maybe we shouldn't. Do you ever think about that for a minute? Maybe, maybe, maybe we shouldn't. You know, if we trust Him, if we believe He knows best, right? Don't we say that? If we want His will to be done, just like Jesus said, don't, don't, don't we want that? Then what sense does it make to get Him to alter His course so that my will can be done? Or so that He can trust me because I know best. You know what I'm saying? All right, so don't lose hope. Let's go get in here. <laughs> Prayer is a great thing, and we'll, I'll, we'll unpack it. So Genesis chapter 12, look at verse 22. He says, So the men turned from there, and they went to Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed, God, sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spirit for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare is the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what's just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Let me pray. Lord, your word is awesome. And uh, I pray this every week as a reminder to myself, Lord, I'm a student. I'm here to learn from you, to learn from your word. And uh, I don't ever want to take this mic and claim some kind of authority. Your word has authority. Uh, I, I do count it a privilege, but, but your word is the authority, Lord. And I pray today that as we unpack what you've said in your word, that we trust it to be the truth. And God, that your word equips all of us to be able to share, share it with others, to, to lead others to you. Through your word. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So while these teams were here this week, I took one of them to one group to Sedona. And uh, you've probably all been there. But we were wandering around up there. And if you know Sedona, you know Sedona is like the, a capital for spiritual connectivity. You know, they have all of the gyms and all of those things like you, to help you connect with the universe, I guess. And then they have the vortexes. Any of y'all been to a vortex? In Sedona, I, I've been to a couple now. Supposedly, uh, they're supposed to, I don't know, they do different things. They're supposed to realign your chakra or something or get, you, get your aura. They're supposed to have a power, like a magnetic power that somehow or another changes you or affects you or fix you, this spiritual power for you, you know, to make you a better you, I guess. Same time I was thinking about that yesterday, I was or Friday. I was thinking about it on Friday. Um, on comes this movie on Turner Classic Movies, ironically, Sodom and Gomorrah from 1962. And I thought, well, that's odd timing because that's basically where we are. So I started, I started watching it, and 
I don't know if you've seen that one, but wow. Like Hollywood is always doing their thing with God's word. And in this one, it was, it was pretty bad. It's all focused on Lot, and Lot almost has like this magic power that, 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 that is God. Like he prays and he talks to God, but God is really more of like the force or something. You know, like he's a Jedi or I don't, I don't know. Uh, he channels this power. So my question for you today as we wrestle with this one, my question for you today is this. Is God a person or a power? Be honest with yourself now. Be honest with yourself. Do you believe God is a person or a power? Because how you answer that will dramatically change the way you pray. It will dramatically change the way you pray. And I always put the you know, kind of the one sentence thought on the sheet back there. If you grab one, you already have it. If you didn't, it's this. Keep this in mind. We have the opportunity to come to God in prayer and to plead for his mercy for ourselves and for others. But in doing so, we're learning how to align ourselves with his plan rather than attempting to redirect them. All right? So that's, that's kind of the idea here. So quick backstory to get where we are. So Abraham and Sarah get this promise from God that they're going to have a family as numerous as the stars. You probably know the story. The seed is going to continue, but there's a problem. What's the problem? Sarah's what? Yeah, yeah. Sarah, Sarah can't have children. So that's already a problem. There's another problem. They're both what? Old. Yeah, they're both old. So real-time old. Not like Old Testament old. Like they're real-time old. And uh, so over time, though, their family continues to grow as they wait on this moment. And Lot is with them. Lot is uh, Abraham's nephew. And his family continues to grow. And before long, their possessions and their family and everything is so big, they don't have room to stay and coexist. Land can't, can't handle the crowds. So Genesis 13, verse 10 says, Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the Jordan Valley was well watered and like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So nobody knows for a fact, but most people think, based on this, that Sodom and Gomorrah is where the Dead Sea, or was, where the Dead Sea area is now. That that's part of what created the Dead Sea was God's judgment on, on Sodom. And we'll get to that next week. But in any event, at the, this moment in time, Lot sees it and it's beautiful. And so his eyes are set on it. So he heads that way. Uh, because they've got to split up. So he heads that way. Uh, it says, verse 12, Abraham settled in the land of Canaan. Lot settled in the cities of Sodom. And verse 13 says, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So that tells you who they are. Um, I'm going to give you guys a lot of verses today or handfuls. So just make notes. Turn to them if you want. But otherwise, just make notes because you won't see them all up here. Remember, I want you to have your Bible. So... Meanwhile, though, they split up and the delay continues on this baby. Like, where's my baby, Lord? You know, Sarah's tripping out. Like, where's my baby? You promised the baby. Where's the baby? And so Sarah decides, you know what? Maybe what God meant was, let's do it this way. So she hands her maidservant, Hagar, over to Abraham and says, hey, why don't you have a baby with her? And that will be my baby. Surrogate baby type thing. Let's make that happen. Well, that's not God's plan, and ultimately things don't go the way they hope they will. Well, that brings us to chapter 18. So if you've got your Bible, open it to chapter 18. You should already be there. But here's where we're going to go. Some of this will be up there, but the first part won't. So I want you to read it along with me. So, and the Lord, if your Bible in your hand says L-O-R-D, all caps, that is a proper name. That's important. So your Bible is going to have L-O-R-D. 
throughout the Old Testament especially. And it's a capital, all caps, it means it's a name. It's a proper name. It's, I don't have time to go into it all now, but it's the name Jehovah or Yahweh. It's, God, it's God's name. It's I Am. Alright, so when you see that, it's not just a Lord. It is the God, the Jehovah, the Lord. Appeared to him, to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. That's pretty descriptive. So think of the moment. There's a grove of oaks, oak trees, and he's got a tent there. Why would you not have a tent there? Sounds like a great place to put a tent, you know, around some oak trees. Big tent, not like a camping tent, like I live in this tent tent. All right? And he's sitting there by the front in the heat of the day. We know all about the heat of the day, right? So he's getting out of the sun, and he's got maybe the overhang on his tent out there, kind of like sitting on the patio, you might say, in the shade, among the trees. All right? And God uh, appears to him and says, And he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. So, now they weren't standing like right over top of him. Like he looks up and he sees they're standing just out, just ahead of him. Standing there waiting for them, waiting for him to see him. When he did see him, he runs from the tent door to meet them. This doesn't mean there are football fields distance away. This just means he raced over there. That's all it means. He just hurried over. So if they were ten feet away, he, he jumped up and hurried right to him. And then he bowed himself to the earth and he said, Oh Lord, I found favor in your sight. Do not pass by your servant. Now that word, Lord, it's not all caps. So that's just a recognition of an authority figure or a, a ruler. So, there are many times that God appears. Notice it said appears. Remember I asked you all this before. What does appear mean? Huh? It wasn't, wasn't there, and now it's there. Uh, I see. It, and when you appear, something appears, you see it. That's what it means. You see it. So, three men have come, and it's saying that God appears like he, he sees. And this happens quite frequently. And some think, well, Abraham didn't recognize the, who these people were. I don't think that's true. And I'll tell you why. You don't have to turn back to these, but you could if you want. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abram. And said, to your offspring, I'll give you the land. We looked at that last week. Appeared. Genesis 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham. So here he's speaking to him. I believe he's probably present there speaking to him. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. In verse 5, it says, he, the word of the Lord, brought him outside. I love that. That's like God is... Say, they're, they're meeting in the tent, and they've been talking a minute. This person called the Word of the Lord. They're talking, and then they walk out together. He says, hey, come out here, I'm going to show you the stars. And they walk out to see the stars. And then in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk in my presence and be blameless. Then Abraham, in verse 3, fell on his face and said and God said to him, so this whole encounter, he's on his face in the presence of God. Verse 22 says, when God had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. So he's present there. So I believe when these three men come walking up to Abram at this moment in time, this is not the first time that Abram has seen this person. That's what I think. Okay? So he goes up and he throws himself down. Verse 1, and the Lord appeared to him. 
Alright, so I think he knows. Also, it says in there that these men, it, 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 he talks about going up to them. That's a plural word. But then he addresses one as Lord. When it says my Lord, that's a singular word. So there's three standing there, but he's identified one of them as Lord. Know what I'm saying? So let's go on. We'll take a chunk here. Verse 4. Um, Let a little water be brought and wash your, plural you guys, your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you can pass on. Since you've come to me. Since you've come to me, let like stay for food. So they, they said, do as you have said. doesn't mean they all spoke at the same time. They just all agreed. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. Uh, and Abram went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abram ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man and prepared it quickly. Uh, sounds like they're making like beef burritos here, coach. You know what I'm saying? Uh, verse 8. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. That's pretty interesting. So whoever these three are, they're eating. So they're actual people, at least in this moment. Verse 9, they said, so they are saying together, where is your wife? So they're like, hey, where's, where's Sarah? Yeah, where's Sarah? Yeah, where's Sarah? And he said, she's in the tent. Now look at this. It just changes. Watch this verse 10. The Lord said, Again, all caps. So now it's that word Jehovah, Yahweh, said, I will surely return to you. So he's there. He's one of them. I don't care how you look at it. He's one of them. I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. He already said that, but now he's given a date this time next year. And Sarah was listening at the tent door. Look, behind him. So this person called the Lord is saying this outside the tent, but Sarah's right on the other side of the tent. You know you can hear straight through a tent, right? And she hears God say that. That's what it's telling you. Verse 11. Now, now I don't think Sarah recognized who it was. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. I don't have to ask you what that means. It's pretty clear. She was already barren anyway, but now menopause and all that stuff. It's a done deal. She's done. So she laughed to herself. That word herself... To herself, it means inside. So literally, she laughed inside. So she didn't make a sound. She laughed inside. Saying to herself, inside, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now she knows how babies are made, so she's even saying, Is it going to happen like that? You know? Um, Look at verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Now, I don't have time to break all this down, but you can go back and look. When God told Abraham this, Abraham laughed. So God turns and looks at Abraham here and says, why does she laugh? Uh, and then he says, uh, is anything, look at this, why does Sarah laugh? Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Why did she say that? In other words, he knew what she said. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Great question. At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. So, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's not about the famous whole question, can God make a rock too big to lift? That's not, that's not what he's trying to say. What he's trying to say is, am I able to keep my word? Didn't I say I was going to do it? 
Am I able to keep my word? Do you believe I'm able to keep my word? And he says, at the appointed time, which is awesome, because that tells you what? There's a plan, right? There's a plan. Jesus said the same thing in Acts chapter 1 to his disciples, that there is an appointed time, a plan, when he'll return and he'll establish his kingdom. There's a plan. Even when it's not for us to know the plan. Even when we don't know the plan. The question is, are we sure that we trust that there's a plan before we start trying to alter it? You know what I'm saying? Do we trust that there's a plan before we start trying to change it? I also love the promise in the second part of that. At the appointed time, I will return to you. He didn't just say, hey, she's going to get pregnant and have a kid. I will return to you. That's awesome because we anticipate Christ returning at the appointed time just the same. Look at verse 15. But Sarah denied saying, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. And technically, it was in her mind. Technically, she didn't say it out loud. So she's not entirely lying. Like, I didn't say anything. That's true. She didn't. And he, God said, no, but you did laugh. Or no, not out loud. Not out loud, you didn't. But you did. So what's he saying? I know your heart. I know whether you trust me or not. And ultimately, what's Sarah's doubt based on? Do you know? What's her doubt based on? It's not just that she's old. It's not just that she's barren. It's delay. It's delay. Like, man, what is the wait? And the longer the delay, the worse it's getting because the circumstances are getting worse and worse and worse. And it's getting older. And it's becoming more and more impossible for God to do this thing. And she can't see how it's even remotely going to occur. You know, how do we allow our circumstances to do the same thing? And time to dictate what we believe God can or will do in our own lives. You know? Ironically, when Isaac, Sarah's child, is born, she names him Isaac. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. But in her case, the laughter's changed to joy, right? So verse 16. Then the men set out from there. So here we go. Then the men set out from there. And they looked down towards Sodom. And Abram watched, or went with them to set them on their way. So now that whole encounter's over. So watch this real carefully. You've got to watch this real carefully. So the three men, along with him, set out. Abraham walks with them as they head down towards Sodom. So if Sodom and Gomorrah was where the Dead Sea is now, it's in the lowest place on earth. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on the planet. Didn't know that, now you know. Okay? So the anywhere you go towards that region is that. No matter which direction you come from. So wherever they're camped, they're going down towards towards the thing. And, and Abram's walking that direction with them. Hey, I'll, I'll walk you out the door, so to speak. Verse 17, watch this now. The Lord, there's that name again, said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Alright? Who's God talking to? We want to say, well, he's talking to the two angels, or the two men, or whatever, that are standing there. But if that's so, why is he asking them? What, what is he consulting them for? What, what are they, what, how are they possibly going to answer that? If it's God that's literally asking them. I think you have a picture, again, of why we believe in a trinity, a plural God. He's, he's commu- I know this is weird. I'm not saying he's schizophrenic. We would be schizophrenic. 
schizophrenic doing this, but he's God. I'm saying he's communicating with himself. You don't think that's true, then you need to ask yourself a question. Do I believe Jesus is God? If you say yes, then why does he pray to the Father? They're, they're communicating. Okay, Now you have to be forced with either I accept a trinity that I can't quite get my head around, or else I'll explain it this way. There are several gods, even though the Bible says that's not true. So we've already talked about this. You can go back and listen to the first one. We talked about God before creation. But I think there's a picture here of God, Father, Son, and Spirit making a point of discussing this. Now, the reason that I say that is because why would it be in here then? Do we really need to know that God talked to himself about this first? No. But what we do need to know is this conversation. What was God getting at? You'll see this. Okay, you'll see this. And that's this. God is initiating this moment. Don't miss it. It's huge. God is initiating this moment. He is making Abraham aware of his intentions. God is making... Abraham didn't know. God is making him aware. God has made a decision and chosen to say, I'm going to tell Abraham what's going on here. He didn't have to say anything. He didn't, he didn't need to tell Abraham where he was headed. In fact, he didn't even need to go there, did he? He didn't need to walk by Abraham's house. He didn't need to do any of that. He could have just dealt with Sodom from heaven. Felt like it. Why did he come personally? Why did he walk right by Abraham's tent personally? There was a reason. God was initiating this for a purpose. What's the purpose? Look, verse 18. I'll tell you why. Because Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed in him. For I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household, see this, family, and after him to keep the way of the Lord, watch this, by doing righteousness and justice. So his family, righteousness and justice, hold that, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So look at what God's focused on with Abraham here. His family and leading with righteousness and justice, just as God does. Okay? You see it? Okay. Those are the very things that God is going to focus on in just a minute. The very same things that God is going to focus on. Abraham's attention on, and Abraham is going to be praying about in just a second. Look at verse 20. Then the Lord said, because it's, so now he's addressing Abraham. So he turns to Abraham and says, hey, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. And we'll talk about that next week. I'll go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I'll know. Does he know? Does he know? Does God know? Obviously he knows. So this is not about God saying, well, I'm going to go figure it out. I'm going to go walk around and see if they're as bad as I think they are. No, he knows. This is about Abraham. This is about God dealing with this man, Abraham. This is not about God saying, hey, uh, you know, maybe we'll go stumble down there and see what happens. And I just want to let you know on the way. That's not what's happened, okay? So verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. That, that's huge. Again, God is there. Two of them go away, but the one who stays, he says he stood still before the Lord. So two going down the hill, Abraham stands there with the one who we now know to be the Lord. But watch, Abraham calls on God for the very things that God mentioned when he was planning to tell him about his plan. Look at this, doing righteousness, justice, and leading family. Verse 23, then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous?" There's that word, with the wicked. Suppose there are 50 
righteous within the city. The 50, he's thinking of his family. He's thinking of Lot. However many people are with Lot. He's like, surely Lot's family is at least 50 or more people. We then sweep away the whole place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it. Far be it for you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fares the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth, the Hebrews, the Chinese, the Mexicans, the Arabs, the Russians, the Ukrainians, the Americans, shall not the God of all the earth do what is just? Listen to me. If you don't have that line marked somewhere, you really need it to be. That, that is one of the greatest statements in the Bible, and I pull it back to my mind all the time. Shall not the God of all the earth do what is just? God will do the right thing. God will do the right thing. Like no matter what, you can be sure, God will do the right thing. So no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how impossible it seems, and no matter if it doesn't go the way you want it to, God will do the right thing. Verse 26, and the Lord said, If, if, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So it's in his hand to do it. If I find them, I will spare. And then they begin this bargaining. I won't read through it. You can skip. You can read through it in your own time. Between verse 27, it says that he kind of cautiously says, well, what if there's 45? Well, what if there's 40? What if there's 30? Suppose there are 20. So he's bargaining, and each time God says, I won't destroy it. Verse 32. Then he said, oh, not, don't, let, don't, be, don't be mad at me, but I'll speak one more time. Suppose 10. And he answered, for the sake of 10. For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. For the sake of 10. Verse 33 says, and the Lord went his way when he finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So get that picture. They have this bargaining and bargaining and bargaining and bargaining. And then Abraham goes back to the tent and it says God goes his way. Back to where? Back up. Back goes back to his place. I mean, and in verse 1 of chapter 19, look what it says. The two angels came to Sodom. So now we know who we've been talking to the whole time, right? That these men have been two angels in the Lord. Doesn't take rocket science to figure that out. What it takes is faith to believe it's true. Did this happen? Did this occur? That's the question. So the reality is, let's wrap this up or or pull pull the truth out of this for a few minutes. So the reality is, there's no bargaining with God. This whole thing was fixed in a sense. Because because listen to me now. Listen to me. How many were righteous? Inside, You could say, well, less than ten. Oh, yeah, less than ten. But I know how many. You know how I know? Because for other reasons, Psalm 14, verse 2, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of mankind to see if there are any who understand, who seek after him. They have all turned aside. Together they've become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul quotes that in Romans and says, all have sinned, all have fallen away. There are none who is righteous. So how many righteous people were there inside? Zero. God, God already knew that. So why is Lot saved? We'll talk about this next week, but why is Lot saved? That's the question. And you should be asking yourself that. 
if you're a Christian, why me? A lot was saved by grace. In fact, you'll see it. A lot has to be drug out of the place. Okay? We'll talk about that next week. And Sodom is still destroyed after all of this. But Abraham has learned to intercede for his family. Abraham has learned to intercede for a Gentile city full of sinners from, from who he is. To be a leader of his family. To trust God with righteousness and justice while he lives the same way. Consider only a few chapters later we'll talk about it. But Abraham takes his only promised son Isaac when he's delivered. And God asks him to sacrifice him. And he carries that boy three days up a mountain and raises a knife to do it. And you'll get the story when we get to it. But he doesn't protest that at all. God's about to destroy a pagan city and he begs and pleads. But now when God says, take your only son and, and take him up, no, no, no begging, pleading, no, no, nothing. Because he fully has come to a place of trusting that the judge of all the earth will do what's just. So, it's not about getting God's plan in line with ours. It's about getting ours in line with his. You understand what I'm saying there? We're given the chance as children to cast our cares on him because he cares for us, but we trust him as a father that's going to do the right thing. So remember, having a power in prayer is wrong. All right? It's having a connection to God in prayer that's right. David Platt said this this week, and it's really good. I happened to stumble across it. He said, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get something, but to know someone. That's a great way to look at it. So before we consider whether or not prayer can change God's plan, let's first ask ourselves, are we aware of his plan and do we actually trust his word? For instance, let's say you have a large group of Christians that have a wedding planned and they're having it outside, hundreds, maybe thousands. They're all believers and they're having their wedding outside and they're begging God, please don't let it rain, please don't let it rain, please don't let it rain. We want this wedding to be perfect and beautiful and this is your child and and blah, 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 blah. But then in the same city, you have a large group of farmers who are believers and they're begging God for rain because they're going to lose their crops if it doesn't rain and they're desperately pleading with them. Okay, which one is it? Which one? You know, I know uh, there are biblical examples with Jonah, with Moses, where it says God changed his mind. But it's not to say that God was doing the wrong thing. Is to say that God had two perfectly good options. But his point was training Jonah. His point was training Moses. Don't have time to go into all those because we'll come to them eventually. But his point there was to make them understand who he was and what their responsibility was. We don't know the best option anyway. The movie, uh, if you've seen it or not, I don't know, but the Bruce Almighty movie with Jim Carrey in it. Uh, where he's given the chance to be God. And the one scene in there where he start, starts getting on his computer of bazillions of prayer requests. And so in his mind, what he thinks is best is to say yes. So he just starts saying yes to everything. And then the world completely falls apart. You know, if you've seen the movie, you know. I'll give you a few verses. You can just note them. Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us. So that is telling you that we don't know how to pray the right way. Philippians 2, verse 13. It is God who works in you, 
both in will and works for His good pleasure. It's God who's working through you for His own good pleasure, not yours in that sense. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, In Christ we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things to the counsel of His will. Did you hear that? He works all things to the counsel of His will. Not ours. We don't collectively sit down and decide what God's going to do this week as a council. It's His will. To say that God has changed His mind directly as a result of our words is dangerous because it may imply that God was making a mistake. You know, and thank goodness, John, man, thank goodness you came along and straightened him out. Boy, he was about to do something really dumb. Glad you got in there for us and got him corrected. That's not the way it works, right? Give you one more quote. This is from uh, Dan Pinto. He's a professor, and I've used this quote. He's a professor in Fort Worth. I've used this several times. I'm not even sure how old it is now, but it's really good. He says this: "It's sad to see that prayer, one of the most precious opportunities God has given man to experience, has been misused and misrepresented by the very people with whom He seeks to commune. Our prayers are not humble; they're demanding." There's an attitude of arrogance instead of reverence. We don't approach God with the idea of our minds being changed. We come before the Almighty to change His mind. The person who offers up this type of prayer does not truly comprehend his sinful condition, nor does he understand the sovereignty of our Lord. That's a great way to look at it. Some quick verses. Jesus himself, Matthew 6, verse 8. Jesus said, don't be like hypocrites, for your father knows what you need before you ask. So then, pray like this. So he says, God already knows what you need before you even ask it. But do pray. And say this. Your kingdom come what? Your will be done. On earth, the same way it's done in heaven. Luke 22, verse 42. Jesus said as well, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. This is as he's going to the cross. Nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. And they're the same, so that's something, right? He tells us, though, on the other hand, to do something else. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him do what? Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. He's telling you the opposite. He's saying the things you think you need, you need to deny. But he can't do the same. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we're faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, whom, from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And Malachi 3.6 says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Jacob, or Israel, are not consumed. Man, that's a great verse. He's saying to them, in that particular verse, Jacob, Israel, the reason that you're not destroyed is because I don't change. You do. You keep sinning. One day you don't, the next day you do. The next day you don't, the next day you do. The next day, but I don't. 
I made a promise to Abraham. I will not change that promise. And that's the only reason you're still here. And we can say the same in Christ. We call it eternal security, but it's the same thing. If he could change his mind, what hope do we have to trust him? But we have this beautiful verse in Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same. What? Yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. So we can trust Him. Why is it important to us that God doesn't change? Because we couldn't have faith in Him if He did. But prayer does change things. It changes you. It changes you. It's how God prepares you for His plan and how He's chosen to execute His plan on earth. So think of it this way, I'm done. His He's chosen to respond to prayer to accomplish His will as our prayers ask for His will to be done. Sounds like it's circular, but it kind of is. Understand that? He's chosen to respond to prayer to accomplish His will on earth as our prayers ask for His will to be done. So the greatest part of it all, guys, is that He wants to we get to participate. That's the best part. So what do you do with this? Well, it's real simple. Pray. You know, pray. Intercede. Plead with God. Do these things, man. Do it. Do it from your heart. Do it completely and then trust Him with the outcome. Trust Him with the outcome. That He has a plan and He knows what He's doing. Maybe you've never prayed before. Maybe you don't think God will listen to you even if you did pray. Uh, I want to tell you, regardless of whether you've prayed before, regardless of whether He will listen to you or won't listen to you, it all begins with one prayer. And I know He hears. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer to say something really simple. I believe. You know, I can't explain it all, but I believe. I trust you. I, I can't explain it all. But I believe that you don't change. I believe your words too. And, and, and I trust you. And one thing I know is I'm not, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I make mistakes. Man, I can own that right now. I make mistakes. If, but if, look, I'm a pastor and we planted this church. But if the, my best hope of heaven is this, I'm, I'm doomed, man. I'm doomed. Because you don't even know the thoughts that go on in my mind like Sarah's. You know? But I'm not saved by that. I'm drug out of Sodom like Lot was. Jesus came and rescued me because he is who he says he is. And he's doing what he said he would do. And he's keeping his word even when mine fails. And I want to challenge you today, man. If that's you, that's where it needs to start for you. So let's stand up real quick and I'm going to pray. We're going to sing another song. We'll be done. Um, but I want to challenge you today to think about these things. God's word is serious. It's real. This is not a, a game. It's reality. He is alive. And I want to challenge you to give your life to him today. Let me pray. Lord, your word is amazing. And Jesus, I pray today that if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that they would surrender their life to you today. That they would lay it right at your feet and admit that without a doubt, they're a sinner. Um, God, nothing in them 
will ever earn heaven. But Jesus, we trust you that you came down. That you came to us. That your sacrifice on that cross was more than enough, Lord. The resurrection from the grave was not just a show out. It was to give us the hope that the grave can't hold us because we belong to you. And you defeated it. Lord, I pray today for your glory to be seen and known through your word. And that as we go out through this week, we would be anxious to pray. Not discouraged to pray because we don't think we can change your mind, but anxious to pray to see how you'll change ours. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.